Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Death Prefers Blondes by Caleb Roig. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. Have you tried the Radio Public app? It's a great app where you can find all of your favorite podcasts like this one. You'll experience the same great content for free and will receive a small kickback every time you listen there. This is a great way to support any podcast you enjoy. Come find us over on Radio Public. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. And our guest today is bookstagrammer and friend of the podcast, Courtney from Coco Chasing Adventures. Hey, Courtney. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for joining us. So I know we're in January and it's been a minute, but how did your NaNoWriMo go? It went good. I didn't make the 50,000 words, but I got pretty close and I'm hoping to finish this month. What are you writing? I'm writing a fantasy that's a little maybe romance and lots of black magic. So, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Our book this week is Death Prefers Blondes by Caleb Roig. By day, Margot Manning appears to be your average, vapid, socialite heiress. But by night, she is the leader of a highly skilled group of drag-wearing thieves, pulling off notorious heists and making hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's a perfect balance for Margot until a series of disasters causes her two lives to twine together in increasingly dangerous ways. Can Margot keep herself and her friends safe from the threats that her high crime lifestyle has brought into their world? We'll see. That's a great summary, Amanda. Thanks, Danielle. I felt great about it. All right. So the elevator pitch for this book was that it is a heist novel about a group of teen drag queens. Courtney, I know you had a lot of expectations going into this. What were you excited for? Well, I had actually read an article on Book Riot about this upcoming release. So I was excited to see the diversity in the characters as it relates to drag culture. Specifically, Caleb made this comment. It challenges gender conformity, emphasizes femininity over masculinity, and gleefully revels in a lot of the stereotypes that queerphobic people have used to mock the LGBT community for generations. So I was excited to see his play on that in the um, premise of the novel. How about you, Amanda? So I agree. I was also, you know, excited about the premise because who doesn't love poking the bear that is the gender binary with drag and jewel thievery? So I was excited going into it. I think that a lot of the heist elements didn't quite work for me, but I really loved that we had this great diverse cast of drag queens with different backgrounds, different reasons for going into crime, um, different relationships with each other. And I thought it was a really cool ensemble cast. I would have loved to see more of the ensembleness from it, but I think overall that like it was really cool to have all of these different drag queen thieves with different backgrounds. What about you, Danielle? Well, I like the heist. Um, I saw Ocean's 8 twice and like have seen the Ocean's movie several times. Like I love heist movies. I wrote, uh, well, like not successfully, but I tried to write a heist nano. Um, <laughs> I got my 50,000 words, but they like weren't the right words, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so now you have to share them clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had Teen Thieves too. And one of Amanda's like, 
things going into it that she said to me was like, Danielle, I want to read about crime for crime's sake. Like, you don't need to have noble reasons. Like, you need to give your characters, like, just a love of crime. Because in the Oceans movies, like, sometimes there's, like, motivation and, like, revenge and stuff. But sometimes they want that money. Yeah, I think this was a good balance because, like, they wanted money for, like, ostensibly good reasons or whatever. But, like, they still just wanted stuff that wasn't theirs. And I liked it. I mean, obviously, you know, you don't want to steal, like, medicine. But, I mean, stealing fancy artwork from rich people. Rich people. Sure, I'm on board with that. <laughs> Me too. All right, so we have, in addition to Margot, who is... Uh, white, bisexual girl, we have these four dudes. So we have Devon, who is a drag queen. He's like the most experienced drag queen of the lot. He's also the uh, car man. And we have Kino and Axel, who are brothers. And Kino is the acrobat, and Axel is something. I, what I, did Axel do? I feel like he's just like a second. Like he's a lieutenant. Okay. And then we have Leaf. Who is the ballerina? Oh, yeah, he's a dancer. We didn't really have a grifter. There was no grifting. And at one point, it was lampshaded that, like, Margot doesn't do grifting. I love that. But we had all of our other tropes. Like, you've got your cue and your gadgets and mastermind. Right. And, yeah. But no grifting. I'm just saying. <laughs> I feel like heist teams can have a grifter. They should have a grifter. I, I, and until you said, I was like, you know what? That's, maybe that's what was missing. Maybe. That's the thing. <laughs> that's the, that was it. That's what this book needed. More characters. <laughs> we will come back to that in the spoiler section. But um, I really, I said I enjoyed the heist. Um, Courtney, you and I had different opinions on the amount of technicality in the heist. I really liked the technical details. You know what it was? Is that after about like 20 pages of swipe left, kick right, <laughs> I, I just begin to like, I start to skip past those kinds of things. I'm like, okay, well, they got into a fight and then what? And I also am a person like character driven storyline. So I was more interested in what the person was feeling as a result of that or what they revealed about themselves in the fight less than the fight itself. So if they were fighting, but what he revealed was he was fighting, he was fighting against his anger or this person represented some character. I would probably be more interested, but I couldn't take too much more of the fight scenes and the technical things or the the screwdrivers or whatever you were talking about. <laughs> I, I really like your thoughts and it made me think that what the world needs is like a hybrid graphic novel like prose heist so that the graphic novel is the fight and the heist portions and the next chapter they're all sitting around at coffee talking about what the heist meant to them and that'll be like prose. Yes. <laughs> I am not sure I have ever read a heist book that I thought really worked. I think that there's something about a heist movie and the way you can like hide information and do like a big reveal with flashbacks to the seeds to it, the way you do in your Oceans movies and uh, Logan Lucky. Leverage, um, which is a TV show, which you skipped over and it's great. Well, because I didn't watch and it. First of all, Leverage is clearly my favorite show. So, <laughs> I mean, you guys are, we're kindred now because that is, I mean, that's my show. Yeah, I mean, I think that you just don't get those like really great moments and books in the same way. I don't know. I mean, right. I know, I know that everybody says Six of Crows is like the best heist novel, but I have not read it. So, <gasps> I know. Okay, it's it's 
it's on our TBR. And listen, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to judge you, but Tips of the Crows is pretty awesome. You're not judging That's us, except you're kind of judging us. <laughs> <laughs> TBR, TBR. So um, one thing about leverage and also to go back to my nano, like another thing that Amanda and I talked a lot about when I was writing the heist novel is like what you share with the reader and viewer and like what you keep secret so that there's still that like element of surprise for them. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like this book kept very much secret from us. Yeah, but I thought it was fine. I just thought it was a different kind of heist. Like it's a very step-by-step heist. It's all clear to you what's happening and what's going to happen versus like, oh, I can't believe that's how they pulled it off. It's like the reveal yeah. that you get in Leverage or Ocean's right. or whatever. Yeah. So as much as you love Heist Court and you didn't love the detail in it, but like, did it feel like good and heisty to you? Yeah, I still enjoyed, I mean, I definitely was surprised in some elements. I was definitely enjoying the characters and what they revealed about themselves through the heist. And I, I mean, I did like some of the technical pieces of it. I definitely liked some of the science. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a scientist engineer, so I was definitely into that. It just probably went a little longer than I wanted it to, but I still thought it was a good heist. And for me, I appreciated that some explanations I really liked because if I didn't get it the first time, Caleb took a little bit more time to explain it one more time, which is, I think is well suited for a YA book. Like it, you know, it, it ha- it's mature, but it also gives you an opportunity to really understand what's taking place before the next part happens. I don't think he leaves his reader behind. Right. I think that's a good thing. I agree. I think that's so important because the last heist novel that I read, I'm not going to say what it was. Was but it I- mine? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the last heist novel I read, I spent so much of the novel going like, what is even happening right now? Like, I yeah. don't know what we're going after. I don't know what's going on. Um, so I really liked that I never, like you said, I never felt left behind in this book. <laughs> right. So, uh, Courtney, you glossed over it, but you told us before we started recording that you work in biometrics. That is a word that makes me tingly. <laughs> Tell me about <laughs> biometrics. So I work in biometrics forensics for the Army, and primarily it's about using specific qualities of you to be able to identify you. In my case, for altruistic purposes, it's likely. <laughs> yes. For my purpose, it's mostly about force protection. So in the novel, for example, you might have a biometric that says, don't open this safe or don't open this door or whatever without a, a biometric response. And so and that's the kind of things that I work on. So I appreciated his attention to detail from an engineering perspective. I really like that. Um, that's the nerd in me, I suppose. I love it. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like a latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of Death Prefers Blondes and dig a little deeper. Hey friends, are you sitting there thinking, this podcast is awesome? I know, me too. Well, here's how to support us and our authors. Pre-order our book choices through our affiliate links. We'll get a small kickback and pre-orders count towards an author's first week totals. Everybody wins! Next week, we're going to discuss On the Come Up by Angie Thomas. If you'd like to help us keep bringing you great content, pre-order through the link in our show notes. Happy reading! Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Courtney, what is your brew of choice this week? 
I'm so excited, guys, that you guys are doing On the Come Up next week. That is actually my things I like a latte. Um, I really love Andy Thomas's The Hate You Give. So I'm looking forward to her new book. And I just saw the cover, and it's beautiful. So anyways, I'll be tuning in next week. Awesome. Okay. Danielle, what are the things that you like a latte? So we started watching Killer Mike's Trigger Warning on Netflix. And, Ooh. like, I'm... Guys, I'm just so culturally unaware. I did not know that this dude existed, but he is really funny um, <laughs> and really smart. And his first episode is called Living Well Black. And basically, he laments the loss of Black-owned businesses and Black-owned economic ventures. And he tries to see if he can like live in the Black economy for three days and ends up being super hard. Even though, historically, when the United States was more segregated, there were, like, strong black communities that had every aspect of the economy covered. So that was super fascinating to see him do that. And also got me thinking about, like, well, could I live by only supporting women-owned businesses and ventures? Like, I'd have to find a grocery store that was owned by women. Or, like, queer-owned businesses and economic ventures that would be hard yeah that'd be interesting that would be hard yeah and so it, it really got me thinking about all these things that we use every day and like where they come from and who it mm-hmm. economically benefits when i buy them really good show trigger warning by killer mike how about you amanda what's your brew of choice so my brother and i argue a lot we agree on very little and there was a moment a year or so ago where I got this text from my brother and it said, we can disagree on a lot of things, but can we both agree how great it is to watch spoiled rich kids who flew to an island for a concert get stranded? <laughs> <laughs> and now I can relive this moment of unitedness with my brother over... what? How do you pronounce this word, Danielle? Sibling schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude with the two making me feel glad that I'm not you. With the two documentaries, one is on Hulu. It's called Fire Fraud. The other is on Netflix, and it's called Fire: The Greatest Party That Never Happened. And they are both <laughs> just really enjoyable to watch. They're not particularly thought provoking or inspiring, but they are just great to watch and just have your schadenfreude and popcorn and (laughs) but also like you get to follow this whole roadmap to disaster and both the documentaries have a great way of telling this story and I really enjoyed both of them I'm not sure I could pick a favorite because they both do really different things but yeah I thought it was really good We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on Death Prefers Blondes. The rest of the show will contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back. Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on Death Prefers Blondes by Caleb Rorick. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! So, I want to start us off 
with my number one thing that would have made me like this book so much more. Right. And I liked it. Like, I thought it was good. But here's what it needed. Margot needed to be a trans girl or a drag queen. Yes. I have to agree. For all the diversity that's in the cast, they weren't really the main thing. So I guess I wanted to see the diverse characters as a part of the main storyline. I wanted to see the entire ensemble together make the plot. Yes. Not just Margot. The middle third of the book, or like the middle 50%, because it's 20% too long, <laughs> is Margot alone. And like, I missed the DQs. At one point, I was like, our DQs got backburnered. Where'd they go? And I would have liked them to stick around. Or, like you said, for Margot to be truly a drag queen herself. So I mentioned to Danielle Courtney that I did think that Margot was trans at the beginning of the book for a couple reasons. One was that she said, I'm not technically a drag queen. And the other was like she had this like barb situation with Valentina where Valentina says something about like, what about all your other fake parts? Which seems like the kind of thing that like a terrible person would say to a transgender girl. So I thought mm. that Margot was going to be trans. And then when she wasn't, like I was pretty disappointed. Right. And we just come off of the Meredith Russo book. And one of Meredith Russo's things was like, trans characters need to like have adventures and do awesome things. And I was like, well, this would be an awesome thing. Yeah, I thought the book was good. And I love the diversity in the character. I just I really enjoyed it. And I love the backstories that each character was allowed to have. And they weren't stereotypically bad or anything like that. I just wanted more from Margot. I, I guess I just wanted, he had so much more potential to take Margot to the next level. So maybe in the follow-up book, he will take it to the next level and reveal something great about her. Right. And we don't know that there will be a follow-up book, but like, we all felt it. Oh yeah. They're going to yeah. Europe for revenge. Like, that's clear follow-up territory. Okay. So let's talk about Europe. Uh, at the 70, Margot goes to Venice like just goes to venice i think it's like an homage to like all of these you know dramatic chase scenes that always seem to happen in venice like why venice i don't know but it definitely slowed down the action there like i'm just two ways about it like i really i thought it was a weird placement like you could tell it was a mechanism to move the plot to be able to i guess if it was a hero's journey you needed to be able to go somewhere and, and return back to the main plot you have to be motivated and maybe that was this, the mechanism by which that motivation occurs so i'm not sure i like that part of it but i did love that when he described Venice, it sounded beautiful. It sounded fun. I really and truly, and maybe that's, again, in that follow-up, it could have been its own thing. I mean, Venice was its own thing, really, in the middle of the book. Yeah. Maybe instead of following Marco to Venice, like, maybe we stuck with the boys and saw them do a heist on their own, and they really yeah. needed Margot to mastermind. Or well, that could have been good. Yes. I don't know if we needed yeah, that a been third good. heist or fourth heist. Fifth heist? Six so many heists. Or, or it could have been the heist. That could have been the heist where something happens to them and she has to return back from Venice now. That was her call to action. Yeah. yeah okay, we're rewriting the book at this point. <laughs> but. <laughs> but that's the fun part in heist stories. That's kind of what I like about Caleb. Is he gives you some room to explore what you would have done if you were in that position. And so, I mean, that makes heist books fun. Yeah. Can we change gears and talk about the great little romance that happened between Leaf and Joaquin. Ooh, hot stuff. It was hot. <laughs> <laughs> so I liked it because a lot of times, especially with gay and queer characters in YA, the romance is very like, 
hold hands, peck on the cheek. <laughs> and like Leaf and Joaquin were like, man, we want to go to Pound Town like right now. Yes. <laughs> I loved it. Again, one of the things I have to give Caleb a kudos for is that he really allowed a true hot romance to happen that wasn't cheesy. Um, it was great for a lonely night here. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think that Leaf and Kino. They get their romance and their steamy scenes. Um, But we also have Axel and Devon, who are friends with benefits. And I like the juxtaposition of, like, Leaf and Kino, who, like, want to be in a relationship, and Axel and Devon, who just want to go at it. Yeah, I agree. And Margot and Dallas, who also are doing their, like, flirty, starting a relationship thing. So what did you guys think about Margot and Dallas, actually? I liked it. I thought they were, uh, you know, I thought it was a good couple. I thought it was a good way to get Margot more behind the scenes information about the lawyer without adding a, another character that didn't add a lot to the plot. Mm-hmm. There was like the fake out where we were supposed to think that Dallas was betraying Margot. What'd you think about yeah. that? You know, I was tricked. See, this is why the heist element worked for me a little bit. Because sometimes, like you said, heist books are very hard to follow sometimes. And and so I think Caleb did a good job of tricking me, at least. I was like, oh, man, (laughs) Dallas, I was counting on you. And then when we realized that it was a part of the plan, I I thought that was one of those good reveals, one of those satisfying reveals, I think. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I agree. I was tricked for a second. Until he actually went into the meeting, I was tricked. But then when, like, we saw Dallas go into the meeting, I was like, oh, okay, this is part of the plan. Yes. Great. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, great. I was like, oh, man, don't tear my heart out. I know. I was like, oh, I like this random guy who's just dooding <laughs> along. Like, it is the hardest <laughs> thing about us both reading the same books. Like, you know, she's like, Dallas, no! And I have to be, like, poker face, which I don't have one of those. So <laughs> she usually I just have to leave. All. Leave the room. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about Georgia, who was Devon's Mm. drag mom. I liked her presence because a lot of people like do develop like very close relationships with their drag mothers. And I think that was like an important thing to show in the book. I did not like that they made her a drug addict. I felt like this book is pure escapism. Like it's like high absurdity. You know, I just didn't think it was necessary to put in there. I feel like it kind of slowed down the plot. I don't know. Wasn't for me. What did y'all think? So did it help at all that Georgia was like an adult? So like teens could still like identify with the teens who provided escapism. It's not like a teen was a drug addict. It was removed from the teens because it was an adult. But most teens who are impacted by drugs in this way are not drug addicts themselves. They're the children of drug addicts. There's an epidemic in this country of people dying of opioid overdoses so for many kids it's not like their friends on drugs it's their parents on drugs right so the opposite of that for them yeah i guess i can see that i don't know i i was connected to georgia as a character because it was more to me that i'm glad that devon when he had his laws he found someone so i think i just liked that even in this weakened state, she meant something to him. And I liked her as a mechanism by which you can see how much, how caring Devon was. So I liked that part. I guess I didn't draw too much other than that. I I probably didn't connect as much to the drug addiction portion of the story. I just felt like it wasn't necessary because it was erased so quickly. It was just like, she went to rehab and then she's better and decided to be better, which is, I don't think it's... 
there. Now after 31 years of addiction or however long she said. Yeah. yeah. And I think this would have been a good opportunity not to like rewrite the book again, but like this would have been a good opportunity instead of having Georgia there at all, just to have Devon with his super supportive parents and have him be doing crime for crime's sake to like test out his tech genius and his car genius and all of his geniuses. And maybe having yeah. having Leaf have this very supportive drag mother because he had such unsupportive parents. Ooh. Do since like we're just that. changing the whole thing. <laughs> so I really liked Devon's character. So from my perspective, sometimes in the black community there I mean every community, but I know in the black community there's a lack of acceptance of LGBT anything. And a lot of times you see toxic masculinity in the black community where black Kids have a really tough time, as in any kid would, and coming out. So I like the idea of them showing a Black father and a Black mother being supportive of their son and his endeavors, and then enabling him to be able to fight against those people who will not love him the same way that they will. I thought that was really good. And so for that reason, I would have loved to see those parents persist in the storyline. Anyways, that was my thought on that. I really liked his parents. I just loved the role that they played. And I'm glad that that wasn't a, a weakness that he had as a character of him not having supportive parents. Yeah, agreed. So overall, we thought that this was a fun read that maybe dragged on a little bit in some places. But... Dragged on? Ha! Okay, I didn't know that happened, but now I'm really proud of myself. Uh, <laughs> so if you have kids who really just love heists, like Ocean's 8 and Leverage and all these kinds of things and are up with a little bit of breaking the gender binary, uh, I think this will be a great recommendation for them. That's our show for today, friends. Thank you so much for joining us, Courtney. Thank you guys for having me. You can find Courtney on Instagram at Coco Chasing Adventures. And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review. Happy, Happy reading! reading.